Greetings from the Long Island Sound podcast. Welcome to the show. Please rate, review, and comment on the show. And call our listener line and leave a message for our guests. Dial 631-800-3579. All right. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Long Island Sound Podcast, where we explore the muse and the music from the North Shore to the South Shore, from New York City to the Hamptons, navigating the wellspring of original music from singer-songwriters and musicians from Long Island, New York. Hi, I'm Steve Yusko from GigDestiny.com. Stay tuned as we explore the Long Island Sound. We have quite the accomplished guest for you today. Not only is he an author of mystery novels, he's an accomplished songwriter, band leader, drummer, multi-instrumentalist. He was also a detective for 20 years in the New York City Police Department. And I'm really excited about our guest today, Marco Canelli. I came across my next guest through an acquaintance, and we soon discovered that we had a mutual friend. I believe Kevin McLeod describes him well. He's a good friend, a talented guy, great songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and band leader. But that's not all. After serving for 20 years as a New York City police detective, he's also an accomplished author and mystery writer who debuted the character Matthew Livingston in a series of novels. His band, The Complex, infiltrated the radio scene in the late 1990s, and their song, Here Comes Janine Again, on Long Island's WLIR FM radio. As Matthew Livingston might say, there's more to uncover about Marco Canelli. Welcome to the Long Island Sound, Marco. Thank you, Steve. Good to see you. <laughs> and I mean, I see you, could not just hear you, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, as we were mentioning off air, it's, it's actually good to see people and, and things are starting to loosen up. And um, I have a lot of empathy for musicians who can't practice their art. And I've met some interesting people who've gone to different platforms and still continue, even though they can play live. So um, uh, let's, I, what I'm always interested in, uh, maybe my audience isn't, but I am, where did you start? When did you pick up an instrument and say, hey, I think I can do this? What, what point in your life? Uh, I'd say late elementary school, I was, uh, I was a drummer first, you know, Mm-hmm. And I, I'm glad I was because it kind of gave me, the, you know, something like like the spine of eventually songwriting. You know, anything I do, whatever instrument I write on now, I still I, I'm cognizant of you know if there's a beat to it or things like that. So I, I had played with a number of people, but then I you know really quickly found that the people I admired most were, were writing the songs. So that you know kind of switch gears and you know more of guitar as an instrument yeah it's like it's like the old joke you know what did the drummer say before he was kicked out of the band hey i got a song i wanted <laughs> i want you guys to play so. okay i gotta go we, you know we're gonna just you know the 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 great one of my favorites andy partridge of xtc songwriter and i had the pleasure of meeting him a few times one time he was just on a tear with these drummer jokes and <laughs> He'd say, "How do you how do you know when a drummer is knocking at your door?" I said, "The knock gets quicker or faster. It speeds up. You know, <laughs> it drags or it speeds up, right?" Exactly. <laughs> so, did you did you come now? Where did you grow up in in Queens or? Yes, um, I did. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's technically geographically part of Long Island, so we can Absolutely. still we can.
can continue with the episode, uh, even though it's Queens. <laughs> You're the one that says it goes all the way to Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's okay. You did your homework. That's because you are a detective, so I get it. <laughs> it's very wise. It is Long Island. It is. Now, uh, now did um, do you come from a musical family? Mom and dad play instruments, and your siblings? No, no, just, really. Uh, I heard the Beatles, you know, like like a, a million other people. <laughs> right, right. It's it's amazing their influence on sure, uh, sure. getting kids out there, which which I which I think is is really great. So you started in drums in like high school, sure. right? Middle school, high school, uh, yeah, elementary school, elementary grade, school. Grade, yeah. Uh, did you do the band thing in high school, or where yeah, did you? Yeah, I liked it. You know, um, they had jazz. It was called Jazz Workshop. Hmm. And I, you know, I, I couldn't read or anything, but I really, I got the experience of playing with horn sections and things like that. And really, like you know, I think it, I think it's it's odd today with with people when they tell you they're into jazz, what they describe it as. You know, mm. uh, I I had the uh, the Benny Goodmans and uh, you know the Duke Ellington. It was it was great. It was great stuff to play. And then here to hear, I want to actually get a couple of those recordings now. Hopefully they've. Uh, remastered or mastered them at least a little bit, uh, but it, that was good. And then I heard, you know, I heard drummers like Gene Kruper, uh, mm. uh, and it, it was it was interesting. So that's what they had in high school, and it was it was good. You know? Great stuff, great stuff to dance to, and yeah. and uh, yeah, I I remember I, I I went did square dancing in high school, and then we yeah. we were fortunate that we had a big band uh, segment in in our school which was really phenomenal it was you know it's kind of like the music mom and dad listened to but sure. you, yeah. when you see your friends playing it you get a new appreciation yeah, for yeah. It, you know? i honestly i said when you said square dancing you said you were fortunate i thought you would say that you were in a round room you know <laughs> no see uh, i grew up in a polish family so uh you know your big fat aunt uh, at five years old will get you out on the dance floor uh you know kicking and screaming and i thought i was such a nerd and no. then in high school, uh, like the jocks wouldn't dance, I yeah. would, and like the pretty girls would dance with me. I'm like, oh my god, this is this is. I should have been a dancer. Well, hindsight's twenty twenty. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so did 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 you ever have a break from music? Did you can like where did it progress um, from there for you? Uh, not necessarily a break. Um, I remember years back uh, trying to figure out once you started writing. And then eventually recording your own music, what what to do with it, you know. Uh, so now we're, we're segueing into the age of compact discs and things mm -hmm. like that, which, which I always loved. It was like the perfect packaging for me, not not taking anything away from vinyl, but uh, I just loved the compactness of it. You know, I, I liked all the aspects of it, the digital aspects of it, but uh, putting a CD out and now we're... You know, because you didn't really come across an agent anywhere to, to guide you. So you had to really, uh, we, we we actually backdoored with the complex, the song Janine. Um, hmm. College of Staten Island played it first. Wow. Okay. And then, you know, uh, we were doing it and just quickly learn, you know what, you learn this, you, you learn what, what your hit is. Because we, we did it early in a set once and everyone left. <laughs> <laughs> They, they're spent, and that's last, all they got. <laughs> last song before the encore. <laughs> so, so you you were out in the you were out in the clubs with the complex, right? Sadly, a lot of those places are gone. Yeah, yeah. I went. I'm 60, so I I was uh, in high school. We had it was a lot of great music, 
And it was almost like the death of live music when yeah. dis disco came, you know, okay. all, all these places were like gone, you know, um, it just kind of switched. And now it's, um, I was talking to Mike Nugent, my good friend who sure. said his, uh, you know, this is the age of the, uh, the cover band, you know, the yeah. tribute, the tribute, the, the tribute, tribute band. band. Yeah. And I'm not, I mean, there's really some fantastic aspects to it. Uh, and that's almost seems to be a vehicle to get your original music out, you know. Um, I, I think that is coming as a byproduct, sad to say, is that a lot of the groups we like are, are much older now. And, you know, uh, maybe you'll go see that Pink Floyd tribute band or, uh, you know, that they, they, they garner a lot of interest, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we probably outside of like Beatlemania never saw that when we oh, were true. younger. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Now, now, when you um, so you were a police officer. Sure. So, yeah. so you were you in the band? You decided to become. Sure, a police I did both. I had did. The, okay. The, the two passions rivaling each other, and later, probably, I had about sixteen years in. Really, realized the other thing was to write something like I, and I call that music's longhand. You know, it's uh, and it just came from from. I guess I gravitated to a lot of things that I was a fan of. I heard music. I was a fan of music. I wanted to play it. I read. And I was someone, you know, I was a big fan of several different authors. Mm -hmm. Most of them deceased, but, um, you know, uh, classics like, you know, Conan Doyle or Rex Stout, Agatha Christie. And, you know, that was the next thing, you know, so it was, it was a natural progression and it equally um, fun thing writing just like playing music uh you know equally fun in a different way you know what's interesting is is I, what i in looking at your bio and your your career is that that thread of creativity um hey all singer songwriters are writers per se but you you have these two passions in in writing novels you know which are phenomenal i i, I think it's great and then songwriting uh as well you know two different practices yeah. um but uh, kind of tied together, just just like those songwriters who, um, I, I think of Springsteen. He he writes songs as as a screenplay almost. Um, yeah, you know, he, and he he scratches a lot of different itches. Uh, oh, now, the, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I, I listened to that, you know, with him that the the recording in Dublin, the one in Dublin with the. So I guess he was doing like the Seeger the Seeger sessions. Or something right, like that. right, correct, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, pay me my money down, and uh, a lot of you know a lot of good this, stuff. This there. land is your land, and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and and really kind of brought that that back yeah. to the forefront with his celebrity, which is which is great because yeah. it can kind of get lost in the dust, so to speak. Uh, Seeker was uh, a Hampton, uh, East Hampton, Southampton. Uh, he he could have been. I know he yeah. did a lot of work uh, in his later life on the Hudson River with uh, ecology okay. and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and he he can be a whole episode or three on on his career and and how he got shunned and and blacklisted yeah, and everything yeah. else and and uh, I heard I just since you mentioned it I was interesting I heard this I think it was on the radio uh, you know about all the different musicians uh, that are selling their catalogs I just heard it today too yeah yeah and and what what Seeger, when Seeger left his group and I'm trying to remember his group that he was in they were going to sell their songs to a cigarette ad. Okay. And, and he just said, no, no, I won't, I won't do that to my art. I won't, I won't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I found that, you know, pretty interesting. 
I, I know I just mentioned the name, but um, I, I remember because you jogged my memory. Uh, uh, speaking of, of Andy Partridge of XTC, I remember, and it was at a time I think you know when they could have used a, a financiality. Um, he was asked to write a couple, couple songs for uh, a Disney film, was James and the Giant Peach, mm-hmm. and then he wrote these songs, and they're, they're great, and and they'd be perfect for the film. And I think Disney said, that's great. Okay, so now we, we own them now once you sign this. And he said, oh, you know. <laughs> and then he said to me, I got eight songs about a damn peach. <laughs> so, you know, hey, what do I do with that? Sell it to the Allman Brothers, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what do you can do with that? Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's interesting, and it almost it – almost, rolls into I, I interviewed a gentleman by the name of Robert Miller is from New York City and he was he was bemoaning Spotify you know which pays okay. fractions of pennies to uh, people for their music you know it definitely gives you a venue to throw stuff up but you you're, you're uh, unless you get a hit right uh, yeah. you're, you're not you're not going to get it and people can listen for free so man it's it, things are kind of changing for the good and yeah. bad i guess you know it's it's interesting I- I, you know, I, I respect the people that research this and uh, know, you know, know what the angle is or what, what what's in it for them. Uh, it, it's 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 a good platform because there are a lot of platforms out there now, and you know, YouTube is is crazy with things, but uh, you know, this this is uh, this is fine. Oh, hey, this podcast wouldn't without Spotify and uh, Google and everything else, it wouldn't be out there you know, uh, for, for people to access. It's, sure. it's kind of interesting how you can just do it from your, my office and, and get it out yeah. to the world. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of fun. I think that, um, speaking of selling catalogs, um, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards were talking about it and I'm I get, and Keith said, well, why are we talking about this now? We got 50 years to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and, you know, he'll probably live the 50 years. Uh, knowing- <laughs> Oh, and Keith Richards. Yeah. So, so tell me something. How did you go from okay, I've written some songs and and now I'm going to uh, produce them and and, yeah. and make a quality. Tell tell me about that process. How you came uh, to meet Brian Unger? I assume oh, you yeah. worked on stuff like that. How did how did that come about? Uh, for that's you, funny. Uh, did you mention before Mike Nugent? Yeah, you know Mike. Yeah. Uh, when he played with the West Houston band. <laughs> That's right, right. And I was a uh, very good friend with the high school with Wes's son. And he was in a band and they had recorded with Brian. And I was looking to do something, you know. Um, and I said, look, had you, yeah, absolutely. And then I went out and met him. And obviously we stayed together the duration. You know, we, right, right. We made, uh, he's, he's my Tony Visconti. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. In fact, you were, uh, if I recall, you, you, uh, sure. you and Brian, and there was another gentleman. I, I didn't catch his name. Who's playing yeah. the bass? We're, sure, yeah. we're on West Houston's uh, yeah. program. It's a while. Yes, yeah, like uh, ten years ago. Um, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. Um, and that I did, I did it in that format just because it was easy. Like we'll, we'll play with the three musicians. I didn't try to expand it anything past that. And then at the end, uh, West joins us on a. So it was a song from my first record after the complex, just a solo record. It was called the uh, late September, early October affair, which I've done with a lot of people. Uh, I mean. And um, yeah, he, uh, he sat in with George Chris, you know, Georgie, the harp player. I, I do not. Uh, yeah. He, he's from the West Houston band too. He was, uh, 
I, I bet you do. I bet you. If yeah, you saw yeah, I, I probably. <laughs> and what I do, just for people who are listening, any of the people that we mentioned, including the videos and stuff, there'll be links on the chapters of this episode uh, if you want to get more information and kind of see uh, how things uh, came yeah. about, you know, uh, ba- back in the day, you know. Sure. Um, so speaking of Brian, so Brian Unger was in the complex. Brian has oh. has his own studio. Yeah, right? he, he, he recorded our, our two albums. And what happened was we really, we kept a revolving lead, like lead guitar player. Uh, uh, I played on those records. It was just the sound, uh, mostly acoustic 12 string. And okay. it was almost played it more like a percussive instrument, you know, and um we were uh, recording, and our drummer was uh, is Tommy Vinton, and he had a lot of success with a, with a band called Too Much Joy, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Ronnie Di Maria was the bass player, and you know Brian had the background from uh, industry in the eighties from MTV right. and all that, right, right, uh, sure, and and um, so he was always like he was our chief engineer and always like the the part of the production process of the record. So when we came around this time, I said, Let, let's, let's do, we haven't played in a long, long time. I think it was uh, 15, 14 years, whatever. I said, let's, let's let him do it. And, you know, it's, it was a natural fit, you know, for someone as talented as him. And plus, you know, he was there for the recording of a lot of our music. So he was, uh, it was great. Yeah, I happened to run across because um, you guys played in Garden City in Prost, sure, yeah. in, yes. Prost in December, and I, I caught that on Facebook and sure. I saw Brian. I'm like, oh, oh okay, <laughs> I see the I see the connection here. It's it's pretty cool, you know. Somebody somebody once said uh, it was a picture from a show I did, and I I guess they knew me or knew somebody in the, in the group, and it was on Facebook, and uh, they saw him and they said, how did you get? Um, Johnny Marr to play with you <laughs> from the Smiths. I said, you know what? I can answer this one or two ways. Right, know? right, right. Exactly. So. so why don't we do this? Why don't we just take a short break? And when we come back, I want to talk about one of the songs that um, we're going to put up, the, one of your original songs or the one with the complex. And we'll kind of talk about that process from when you put things out there, you know, back in the day or back in the 90s, whenever it came out and where things are or today, because it's very, very different. So uh, if everybody just stick with us and we'll be right back. Are you a singer songwriter who wants to take your music to the next level and you need some professional musicians and really that expertise to help you along? Well, check out Melts in Your Ears Studio. It's Mike Nugent's studio. If you like what you've heard here today, Mike's the guy who can make the connections, put the tracks together and give you a quality product. Check it out. Hey, we're back, everybody. We're here with Marco Canelli, and you're listening to the Long Island Sound Podcast. Marco, I'm really interested in the process you had in producing songs in the day compared to what can be done today. It, it, it obviously was a different process. Kind of walk us through that, and then we're going to um, feature one of your original songs called Blame, and we'll talk a little bit about that, and we'll go into that. So. Let's talk about uh, the process. Yeah, the process was we used to carry a lot of those big boxes with the reels in them, you know. Uh, people like, uh, was it M3 and uh, Ampex? And oh, yeah, stuff. sure. Uh, it just was, uh, I, I do believe it, it just had, it was a lot of things that went into it. Having a good room. I was a big stickler for having been a, been a drummer, drum mm-hmm. sounds, you know. 
uh, I, I read about, you know, some, some albums where I really liked big drum sounds and how they were made. And it seems agonizing, but I think just, you know, if you have a good room and, you know, I, I quickly learned the, the importance of the microphone, you know? Uh, oh, yeah. I've, I've learned that the hard yeah. way doing podcasts. I'll tell you that. But we got a little carried away in the first album, like, uh, yeah, Brian had all these old tricks there. It was like, well, is that a B3? Wow, I'd like to hear a B3 on this song, you know. Right. Is that a Leslie cabinet? Let's plug it in, you know. So there's so a lot of that stuff in that album. Uh how many how many know. tracks how many tracks did you work with? Uh twenty-four. So did, that was twenty-four. Okay. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. And you know what? I almost sometimes like if I were to do things again. Maybe it would go for like a 16 so you wouldn't have the room to overindulge, you know, mm. uh, once again. But that, yeah, those were 24 tracks. I don't think 24 tracks we used, you know. Right, right. Isolated hand claps and things like that. You know? Right, right, right. That's true. Like even yeah. even in my, my little office, I was talking to Mike and I'm like, uh, you know, I actually had a sound engineer, uh, a guy named Kevin Kelly said, uh, yeah, that's you got a problem. I said, I think it's my microphone. He said, could be, but it's probably your room, yeah, <laughs> you know. And yes. I ended up, you know, I ran to uh, Harbor Freight and got some moving blankets and strung some things up and put up some sound panels. And it, man, what a difference it makes, you know. The power of the moving blanket. <laughs> the moving blanket. Yeah, I know. I got I got a little nervous because when my wife saw the moving blanket, her hopes got up. But I said, No, I'm not moving out. I'm I'm, I'm staying. Oh man. I know. Yeah, you know. Again, the look of regret on her face. I'm used to it. <laughs> So, so you go into the production studio. Everything's mostly analog so, at that point. Yes. So you were mentioning you don't have uh, the ease of, you know, slicing and dicing, yeah. so to speak, things that flubs or, or what have you. So you really had to put a lot of time into it, would be my assumption. And, and you know, you had an engineer with a really good ear, you know. Uh, I, I would – you could glean from Brian if he wanted to tell you something wasn't good and, you know, without – you know, just like, you know, like – Todd Rundgren as a producer said that all right that was crap you know do you know, I mean when you had Brian hissing he listened to the playback no hmm that's interesting that that meant do it again you know that meant do it again right right exactly and there is that nuance on how you work within a group sure. to to but, get the best out of them I would assume we might not have heard as much again and that's the benefit of yeah the engineer being a very good musician you know uh in their own right is is hearing things too but I've seen equally successful producers that weren't you know uh, just had tremendous ear for, for right you know. for arranging yeah. so let, let's talk about uh blame and how that sure. came about yeah. and uh wh when it when it came you know when you produced it that sort of thing this is interesting uh the song goes back to about 2006 and i did record it once but it wasn't released and it wasn't really uh wasn't so i found some tracks on a home recorder of mm. me drumming with the exception of, of hitting cymbals, because I just, my mics wouldn't do that. And uh, playing guitar, and uh, I don't know, I was just looking to do some work, and I felt the song, you know, needed, because we did it in all the, the shows, you know. So I said, well, whenever another record falls out of my head, it's going to be, we're going to need this. So uh, I remember taking the wave files over to Brian, and adding the symbols because he had the drum room and mm -hmm. uh 
And then he played the really nice, um, you know, guitar uh, work that you hear in the recording. I think between us, we both played a little bit of uh, organ and stuff uh, mm. and uh, vocal. So uh, it was always the opening song in in my solo set, not the complex, um, for a long time. And people got to you, got got used to it. And what I really liked too was. Uh, if you ever go on YouTube, you can see the video that accompanies it. That's a lot. It was a lot of fun. Well, I'll definitely put a link for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was that was cool. So, uh, so this is blame. You know, like I said, the more things change, the more they stay the same. We're just looking for someone to blame. <laughs> All right, let's check it out.
That was really wonderful. What a great song. So who, who played on that song? You had Brian uh, Unger? Yeah, I did the, uh, let me see. I did the um, the drumming, uh, the acoustic guitar, vocal, a little bit. Brian did the majority of the piano. Uh, and he, uh, he had this old... Uh, Les Paul Jr. or something. Uh, it was really cool. I again, I said I want I want to hear this one, and uh, well, we had it through. I think like a like a, a tube amp or something like that, and uh, and then a the guy you probably heard of Tommy Demeco. You've probably seen him on the scene. Mm-hmm. Tommy actually played the bass on that, which which was recorded uh, at home. You know, that was mm-hmm. another one. I think I tried to do a home recording years ago and just abandoned it and found the tracks, you know, a few years later and right. went over there. I just, uh, I remember um, uh, I have a Martin D35 and it just, uh, whatever microphone I used, it just had this great sound. And I said, all right, no, let's, let's great record tone. the rest of the song. Yeah, I love, uh, I love Martin guitars. Yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting because, uh, you know, people make fun when you have multiple guitars and, and, uh, uh, and they're like, you know, why? Well, each one has a different personality and a different sure. tone, tone to it. You know, I yeah. think that's, that's kind of neat. What I'm, what I'm interested in, and when I looked at your yeah. bio, I, you know, I see this detective, you did undercover work. Sure, yeah. um, you're an author. You, you've you've sure. uh, written uh, several books. How did how did you, like did you balance the two together? I mean, how how did that kind of work uh, for think, you? I think you get on one avenue for a while, and then you know the other. Uh, writing, you have to stay diligent as, as an author. Um, and actually, the current project I'm working on now is actually with another writer. So this is this is fun. You know, it's like. Uh, mm. And it's somebody I will. I, I'll announce the details at a later date. But uh, okay. it's a, it's it's an interesting story. Uh, and the other the other person is uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. So we, you know, when you when you put together a plan and all right, this is what I have, and you know, this is your part, this is my part. Uh, it's it's a very interesting process. Just beginning now, but um, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, to this. You know, um, so but I do that. You know, you have to stay diligent about the time. You know, and I have I have an hour in the evening here. This I, even if you just pick up the notebook, if you put ten words down, it's ten more than you had yesterday, right? <laughs> right. So so that's that's your woodshedding. It kind of like what you would do within your your purposeful about putting that yeah. time aside. It's it's amazing too because uh, I think days when you feel a certain way creatively you write, and days when you know you have to work and you're not feeling very creative, go back and edit what you did. You know what I mean? Because you'll oh, interesting. Yeah, you'll find somebody saying, uh, you know, uh, know what I mean over and over. You know, like <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, when I when I when I've written stuff, sure. what I learn is is one, it just it all goes out on the page. I, mm-hmm. I don't edit as I go. I just kind of put it out there. I might write something twice with a different phrasing yeah, in it. Exactly. And, and then I go back at it. And, um, you know, actually my wife, Debbie was great. She would listen to stuff yeah. I've written and say, cause you know, I found it interesting from a writer's perspective to have a female's interpretation of what I'm writing. Cause they always say, you know what you're writing, but you don't know what people are hearing. Particularly yeah. if it's just, if, if it's a spoken yeah. word or a song or anything like that. And it's, it's good to get that opinion, you know. I think I think in the uh, in in the young adult series, uh, the the one female who's hangs out with the two you know other teenagers is the most fun to write for. What's interesting was uh, when when the third book came out, 
2010. I won the Silver Falchion Award in 2011. And then I changed audiences, not genre. I wanted to like the adult uh, mm-hmm. mystery. But I have a short story with those characters. It's Last I heard, it's coming out in an anthology in June. Uh, it's called... Um, after is it, after midnight was the last one. I it'll come to me, but it's it's, it's coming out in June. It's, just, it's the characters return in, in a, like a almost like a paranormal mystery. You know, but, you know what caught me, and I'm I'm probably yeah. dating myself. And I have, I have twin sisters who are 14 years older than me, wow. and uh, Nancy Drew yeah. and the Har- and the Hardy Boys. Yeah. That kind of jumped out at me when I, I saw that, and I'm like. Yeah. Oh, this this is this is kind of cool, you know. I'm, I'm looking right on the other on the other side of the wall. They're on a bookshelf right there. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. 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 My, my my sisters had the whole the whole. Yeah. I still remember yeah. it. it was, they were hardcover books. Uh, Did they have in yellow? Yeah. All right. They had the yellow covers. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, but, that's, yeah. uh, they, well, they were rewritten years later. I you know when when I when I first when when Matthew Livingston first came out and I, I did interviews. Uh, I used to talk about this a lot. They were, um, I, the Hardy Boys, it was, it was a Stratmire industry, and he had this idea to write books. He wrote, I think he had Tom Swift, too, things like that. Mm-hmm. And they wrote for these audiences, and years later in the 60s, I don't know, it was a project that came along and rewrote them in sensitive smaller than they actually were because they weren't exactly time uh sensitive like a person of this ethnicity was represented this way in the book and i'd probably be the same way if you like i I love edgar rice burroughs as a as a writer but you know if you read tarzan you'd probably see a lot of dated language and depictions of people so the hardys and nancy were taken through this i i'm always interested in both books because uh in fact i i just had gotten one uh from ebay they call them the old text ot old text so that they used to have brick brown covers on them and, and uh dust covers and uh mm-hmm. things like that so uh it's interesting but nancy was in fact i'll tell you one, one of the things that was edited out of nancy uh in the very early book she carried a gun oh really yeah yeah, and maybe she that wasn't like too feminine yeah. at the time for uh, um, the stereotype of wasn't girly enough, I guess. Maybe I don't know if it was Wildcat Swamp or something, but she she shoots like a wild animal in one of them. It's yeah, exactly. You know, years later, I guess that was maybe depicted in a a violent violent nature. Because when I got into that business, you know, I didn't have a hundred percent guidance, but some people told me, you know. Here's, here's your boundaries with teenagers. Uh, they okay. can do this. They can't do this. You know, this is uh, so. And and I fell into it. I just yeah, your uh, guardrails, so to speak. Yeah, right? yeah. The, the, well, the I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you the same, a similar question. You know, when you picked up an instrument, and now you pick up a pen, and the day you say, "I'm going to write a book," sure. What what gave you the car? I uh, to me it's very courageous, <laughs> you know, to say, uh, no, really, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna write a book, you know. Uh, how did that come about? I think uh, if there was any steel in my spine, it came from uh, I went in the bookstores. I used to go to a lot of bookstores, and the young adult genre was dormant, except for Nancy and 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 uh, the Hardys. So it's called the blues and the yellows. Um, okay. they, were, yeah. they were they were dormant. No one was writing in this. I said, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to take everything I know, you know, from a crime perspective, 
and 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 make make a make a more believable character like you know the thing i i found with 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 those in their great characters but they were perfect they could fly they could drive they had motorcycles they you know and, they were superheroes yeah yeah they could just leave um uh, leave um school at any given time you know so you well, know, i had my, like guys, I had like my guys in school you know and it was like <laughs> okay at three o'clock meet here we're gonna do this you know so <laughs> so that was that was my uh that's what gave me the, the so so you, you're coming from this uh, so you're a cop you're a detective you do undercover work you're coming from the reality that you you see every day yeah. and, and you which is great you bring that yeah. uh you know your deductive reasoning, your investigation to a character who's a teenager, oh. right? Yeah, exactly. And that was that was the wow of it. And the big part of it was tricky was the actual cops in the book are kind of like their enemies, you know, like they, they're always after the kids to, you know, what were you doing over there yesterday, you know? Right, right, <laughs> that right. Type of, you know, uh, so it's uh yeah it plays it plays on that level it plays on that level and uh, uh that was just you know you know what was disappointing steve was uh in 2007 when the first one came out and you know i have the original release of it right here uh oh cool hang on a second um when it came out the first one uh it there was nothing like it and when mm -hmm. i when i did like the the conferences and things like that. Uh, he's gonna have to sit on my lap for the rest of the show. <laughs> uh, Little Sherlock Holmes doll, yeah, just for that. those who can't well, see. <laughs> that's that's the little one. Just the big oh, one. nice. <laughs> so 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 you go out and you find a publisher. I mean, how, how did yeah, yeah, I got uh, it was a small house in. I think they were in, no, they were in California, and they were interested in it. But the the disappointing thing, you know, I did. I'm doing the conferences and. Everyone else is, you know, the the mainstream crime fiction, you know. Right. Uh, I I had I had a shot, and it came from Long Island. Uh, hmm. Remember, like the Island Deer did a nice write up on it. Uh, a couple of Eastern Queens newspapers did it. Um, segment on the news. It was getting this attention. Within a year, I'm telling you, and it's not a coincidence. Within a year. Um, James Patterson is writing a young adult book. The guy uh, who does the legal thrillers, I'm sorry, just escaped me. Uh, he's got them. Uh, Carl Heisen is writing them. Madonna, you know, it's. Uh, yeah, yeah. I have, so I have a, a news, like a, from the funnies in the newspaper. I clipped out a, an article. I forget what comic strip it was. It says, uh, gee, I, you know, I want to be a, a young adult writer. What do I need to be, uh, you know, to, to, to be, you know, successful as, as a young adult writer. And the, the kid next to him says, you have to be famous. <laughs> yeah, the right. Exactly. You know, that, that's the draw through. So you open the door and, uh, and Patterson, uh, uh flew it's, in. <laughs> it's a strange point. Cause at the time mm -hmm. when, when, when that came out, uh, Nancy Drew went to the went to the big screen. It, it didn't do well. I don't know. I don't think it did well. Two thousand seven. That was uh, that was the title of the article I was in. Said you know, teen detectives are everywhere. Nancy's on the big screen. Somebody else was somewhere, and uh, Marco Canelli has now introduced Matthew Livingston. So it was it was an interesting uh, you know setup. But um, 
something that I think uh, Encyclopedia Brown was supposed to happen. It mm-hmm. didn't like that. The rights were secured for him to go to the big screen, but it didn't. Uh, well, so if you, that, yeah. you think about what's marketable uh, from a uh, Hollywood yeah. situation, you know, we, we spoke about Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys being somewhat, or maybe I said it's superheroes yeah. and the whole Marvel and, and, and that aspect of things of fantasy and, and, you know, the pseudo empowerment of things that you can do. Uh, it's interesting when you actually have, and superheroes have flaws, right? We all have sure. our Achilles heel. Uh, but when you're able to humanize them, where that falls in, into the marketplace, you know, and I'm sure the publisher thinking, hmm, how can, <laughs> how can we make the most money on this? Yeah, well, it's, you know? it's, it's interesting. When you said it before, uh, I immediately thought of there was a story. Oh, forgive me. I don't know the title of there were so many of them, but where the Hardys are following somebody and they, you know, they don't want to be recognized. So, you know, they grease their hair back and put on big speckled glasses. This is before Clark Kent and Superman, you know. This oh, wow. Like, you know, it's just, yeah, it really was, you know. Yeah. And uh, I think in even one of them, there's a mysterious person climbing down a giant web down a cliff, you know, and, you know, they proceeded a lot. Yeah, we all borrow from each other or steal, depending on, 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 right. on which side of it yeah. we're on. And how guilty you know, we feel. Very, very interesting. So now the balance. So you're you're full you're fully into the writing uh, now. You're running down that lane. Where are you, where are you with your music? Is that still running somewhat of a parallel uh, track? Yeah. Or is it- well, it's interesting when when we did um, when we did say hey let's let's do a complex show, mm-hmm. and when we had a date on the books, I started writing new songs, and uh, I was kind of like writing them. You know, before I, I would be very like heavy handed with writing something. I demo something out in every instrument and uh, it was writing very loosely for songs, you know, hopefully that, you know, we, we never did a third album. We never mm-hmm. did a third album. Uh, we had two very good albums, but, you know, you always think about that, you know, what, what, what if, you know, this, I think, I think somebody reckons like what would be a Pete Townsend solo album and what would be a who album, you know, and I'm not comparing myself to Pete Townsend in any way, but like they'd listen to one of his and I I think it was an interviewer years ago. And he said, well, was that something the who just passed on? And, you know, uh, Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. um, But just to write some stuff that, we could really work together as well. Cause you know, in, in, in the solo aspect, I work alone, you know, you don't really bounce ideas too freely off people. So, um, but that's it. You're just looking forward to playing uh, again, you know, and uh, you know, some, sometimes I think you need a, um, that show that's coming up yeah. or that release yeah. or what have you, that kind of gives you the motivation to kind of get your, your, your stuff in gear. You know, and and, yeah. and and move towards that. You know, I think that that's the exciting. That gives you the energy to kind of, kind of run with things. So it's it's really yeah. interesting. You know, uh, it's the beauty of music is you can you can run the extremes of what you like and what you want to do. And even though you know, I have a a good chunk of stuff you know wait, waiting to to be heard or worked out. I wouldn't mind throwing you know one or two of those into the next show. You know, to to try out. But uh, I got. Just the other just came out Friday. Um, this will make you feel old. Uh, it's the 30th <laughs> anniversary of the second Keith Richards solo album. It's called Main Offender. And okay, I saw him on that tour in the Beacon Theater in 1993, and uh, 
I always liked, I loved his first album. I mm-hmm. never had the second album. And I think part of that was radio. The song radio was spinning. Was It was good. I didn't think it was great. Mm-hmm. But I just heard like some of this album and, uh, like just sitting there, like, how does he get that sound? How does he get that tone? You know, and like, I, you know, it almost like want to do a record of like, you know, like Keith don't have a lot of words in his songs. You know, it's just, uh, you know, when he chooses to say something, you know, you'll hear it. (laughs) And that's just another fun thing. You know, if you could uh, pluck away, I wouldn't, you know, mind doing a few songs in that vein. And, you know, uh, people can do that musically. Sometimes they can, they can become somebody else. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Let, let's talk. Let's talk about the complex because I'd like to get sure. into yeah. um, the winter of discontent and um, how that song came about. Uh, you know, it seems you know very upbeat, and you know it kind of plays into uh, what twenty twenty one was for a lot of us. You know? Yeah. You know, well, so. it it's on the second album. So we had uh, the first album was called Expectations and Dismay. Came out. It was. I think it was done the end of 1995, but uh, when, when like, you know, college radio and things like that heard, it was 1996. Uh, and then in 2000, we had the songs from Forgotten Children. And all right, so the first album is done and you're, you're, you're playing a lot and you're playing mm-hmm. in front of people. And I think at that point we were sliding a couple of new songs that weren't on the album would be on the second album songs like incomplete and, uh, I can't touch you anymore, songs like that. And then I wrote The Winter of Discontent, but it was a good 10 months before we did it in the show. Hmm. And because, uh, you know, at the time, I didn't think it sounded like a lot of the other uh, stuff. I, I'll never forget, um, we were doing a show in New York City after my first solo album called Sitting in Snow. And uh, it was the only complex song I did solo. It was, okay. and I didn't do any of the other material because that, that was that was our stuff. And, uh, sure, I I had, but I did that one. Um, and we were listening to I don't. They recorded the show, and it's to the ride home. We were listening to, and I had uh, Ray Forgione was the drummer in the back seat, and I had Johnny Spadaro was the guitar player, mm-hmm. and you know Ray had learned the song for the show, and he says, "Man," he said, "I love this song." He said, "What what Bob Dylan album is this on?" <laughs> <laughs> John looked at him as it's his, you know, like they know, you know, I'm driving. It's a nice compliment. It's a nice compliment. Yeah, you know, die now. Right. It was, you know, it was, again, it was, it was a little different from the other music, but so that's why it took a little while for me to put it in the set, but we, I haven't heard it in a long time and we had played, um, played a bunch, when we played in uh, the, end of November in Garden City, uh, you know, we just we just did it. We didn't have a lot of rehearsal for that show. We just did mm. it. And that's what I like about those musicians. It's like, you know, it was 14 years since we played with each other and it was, you know, it was like it was yesterday. Like yesterday. I know. I'm sure you've had that experience a lot. Well, I have that I have that experience on boys' weekends where I turn into uh you know from a sixty year old to a sixteen year old. That's it. And uh, and have uh all my buddies bust my balls and remember things that Either I choose not to remember or, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> so why don't, why don't we jump into yeah. right now the winter of discontent and let's have a listen, okay? Well, I truly was destined to believe that I wouldn't get better than this. 
I leaned over my shellstone sick and I went to cut my wrist. Why doesn't the sun wanna shine and the cork gets broken off in the wash? But I got so sick of sentiment, cause it sounded ever so spent. I threw out every letter you wrote in a winter of discontent. Shook my shoulders and I put both feet on the ground. Hard to see somebody you can trust when you're hanging upside down. Where will you roll me to when the people are laughing at the things that you do? With the past and the past and let it fade away, don't call my father and me no more. I grew up out of shoes and it's in the winter of discontent. back that was really great um it's interesting what you did is allowing us to get the uh, little bit of insight before we heard the song so i'm sure people got more out of it and then did you do a video for that song too no uh, oh, okay. i you know i i, t- I took a, i told a funny i thought it was funny anyway it was show you know th- this stuff you're gonna you're you're mid you're mid-20s when you when you record this and um one of the songs, I don't think it was Ginny, I think it was one of the other songs, we were approached at the time with, with the idea of recording a video for it. And I, don't know, I, I had seen an interview, I think it was with Michael Snipe from REM. Okay, and, yeah. Um, you know, he it was describing the video, um, the end of the world as we know it. A kid was basically going through the house and it's all filled with REM memorabilia. You know, and he and the protagonist is here, but and I, I'm describing it like that to the video people, you know, the producer, and I got Ronnie Di Maria with me, and um, he's, you know, and they're like, yeah, I, I, it's not really what we're seeing. I, I, I don't, <laughs> and it is, unless you have a better idea, I think we may have to pass. And you know, I'm, how dare you? You know, yeah, how yeah. dare you? I'm a genius. You know, um, and and this you know, is you know. His Tom Jones approach. How about this? You know, um, <laughs> our, 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 our tour van breaks down 
And it also just so happens a bus full of Swedish swimsuit models offers to give us a ride, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant let's do it you know yeah sex sells yeah yeah get the girls in these guys aren't that good looking (laughs) i didn't uh we we didn't get to video that i don't know how you would video that but uh yeah blame has a good video to it i like i like the blame video Um, all right good we'll we'll, we'll definitely we'll definitely put put a link with that so yeah um, the um uh, you know what i I gotta give her the plug uh yeah uh, please the, the spanish actress uh well now from Los Angeles, Denise Moraz Trapa is uh, in the Blame video. She's very, very good. She should have been the Karen Page in Netflix Daredevil. I, I, <laughs> I saw her audition real quick, but um, it was, uh, I don't know, they, they did get a good actress. But uh, yeah, so that, that that's a lot of fun. But yeah, that's another thing, you know, it, it, you know, in the future, I do, I do like um, an idea for a video. It gives you, you know, it gives you the idea to play with the song a little bit more. Sure, sure. You know, uh, because you know, if you think about it, um, yeah, as an author, you're, you're going to write your book and then maybe see some. You don't walk around and read the book to people every night. You know, <laughs> music right. was very different with that. You know, we we recorded them. You know, we, we uh, you know we want to run out and play it in front of people. You know, and, yeah, it's you very know. interesting. So, what yeah. what does the future uh, uh, hold for you? Marco, what's what's coming up next in your life? We have a uh, June eighteenth. This is Saturday. Uh, we'll be appearing at Prost. That's P R O S T. Very fun place. Very just great place to, to in see Garden the band. City. Yes, Garden City. Um, it's Franklin Avenue. Yeah, it is on Franklin Avenue, right by the railroad track. Exactly. You know, you see that thing going up and down when you play it. <laughs> um, you know, catch it. You know what? This is this is just. Uh, one long energetic set of music and uh it's a fun vibe and it went over very well there and the uh uh very uh, great great guy uh, you have you've been there right uh, oh yeah uh, i've been there yep. yeah absolutely uh james mccartney not not that james mccartney because paul mccartney's name is actually james i think isn't it <laughs> i think that's i think it's james paul mccartney <laughs> right uh no this james mccartney great and it's just a music fan uh and you know when when you are working with a guy like that who hey, I want I want to hear you guys down here. Uh, it's just it's uh it's, it's cool you know you you you're, you're part of the team you know. Yeah, it's nice. So, it's a nice, it's a nice collaboration. Yes, yeah. Nice collaboration. So and when you, you get to see Steve Yusko there, he'll yeah, have I'll, I'll be there with my wife Debbie, <laughs> uh, or some other lady. Just call her Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> so listen when when you get done with your secret collaborative yeah. work that you're writing on now yeah we're gonna record you again and we'll add it to yeah, this episode so we can get the information out anybody who's following marco Canelli and long yeah. island sound will get to know about this mysterious uh, project that you're working on keeping the the long island scene alive uh in in great podcasts like this uh it, it it serves to remind people how important Long Island was to to music, uh, popular music. Because I, I think it's a great documentary. If you ever get a chance to see, it's called Dare to Be Different. The one about okay. WLIR. Oh yeah, and, with uh, yeah, my my uh, lady I know, Malibu Sue. Yeah, she, sure. I remember. That. I remember yeah. Sue. Yeah, trying to get her on the podcast too. So uh, should. Sue should do the podcast. <laughs> the, you right. know, but the, um, the you know the the great thing about that is I, I wonder if if people would have ever heard new new wave music had it not been for that station. You know? Right, yeah, and I, I look at um, one of my favorite stations is WFUV. Yeah, yeah, for the Fordham station because it's just 
it plays so many different eclectic yeah. things that I would never have gotten introduced to, like the Lumineers and sure. and and uh, first aid kit out of um, the Netherlands and stuff like that. I would never have heard about it. But what I'm finding interesting with this podcast, this yeah. little self promotion, is I'm discovering these people that oh yeah oh they're from yeah, oh, yeah he's from Long Island that exactly. guy's from Long Island yeah. and. Um, one leads into the next, into yeah. the next, and uh, everyone's been really gracious with their time. And I end my podcast a lot like this. Um, and a, a good friend of mine from Garden City told me, uh, and he got this from Joe Torrey when he was volunteering for some work. And he said, ah, this is nothing, Joe. And Joe was like, no, no. He goes, we can account. It's in our bank account for things we own. We really yeah. can't account for the time we have left here on Earth. So when you, Marco, give me your time, I appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Great show, and uh, looking forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you for joining us today. I appreciate the time you spent with us. Please subscribe and comment and visit us at gigdestiny.com. Till next time, be generous with your joy, keep your spirits high, and let the music take you on a journey. Be well. Peace. Thanks so much for listening. Please rate, review, and comment on the show. We really love to hear from you. And call our listener line at 631-800-3579. Again, thanks so much. Be well.